Well, sickness is going around again, right? Maybe you're aware of that. I have children in the elementary school system, and this week, a couple of my kids stayed home, and one of my kids had to stay home because there were seven different kids in his class sent home with strep and COVID, all right? So you're all wondering, how close did I get to Andrew and his son Judah this morning? We're wandering around the building. And so I kept my kids home from school for a couple days, and, and we had to bring them in to get a strep test and to give a, get a COVID test. And I will assure you, we're clean. We're fine. But because of the exposure, we had to pull ourselves out. And so we went to the doctor earlier this week, and, and I went with Avery and my son Judah, and they had to get strep tests. And it's not fun, right? Like, if you remember, adults don't get strep tests, but if you remember back in the day, like, they take the, the dry popsicle stick put it on your tongue, right? That, even that part is awful. But then they take the swab and they stick it down your throat. So they do this to my daughter, Ava. She's the oldest. She's the most compliant, and so she'll do what she's told. And then my son, Judah, was up next. And he did not want to do this, even though we had talked about it ahead of time, right? Like, this is what we need to do to get better. Uh, he's got some fear of sickness, as do we all, right, buddy? It's not fun to get sick. It's not fun to be exposed to germs. And so he agreed, let's go to the doctor and, and, and let's, let's do the tests and do what we can to try and handle any sickness that may come. But in the moment of the doctor wanting to pull down his tongue with that popsicle stick and stick that swab to the back of his throat, he just locked up. He couldn't do it. And so it took us, I don't know, 10 minutes? Was it about 10 minutes? That we're sitting there in the office trying to convince him, trying to work through this fear and anxiety, which I myself had as a child. I still probably have it about things like that. And eventually, with a whole bunch of bribery, we were able to get that swab down his throat and get the test. Strep is negative. But we all, we all have experienced these type of reactions, when, when we want to get better, when we want to know something, when we want to diagnose something or treat something, but there's something in us that resists what it will take. Whether it's, a, whether it's just a physical reaction, whether it's a psychological reaction, whatever it is, there's something that boils up in us and we know the good thing that we ought to do. Yet there's something in us that, that resists it and pushes it away and, and we're unwilling to do the necessary or hard thing to get better or to get diagnosed or to get treated. Well, thankfully, in our case, this last week, we were able to convince my son through bribery that we could get this done. But spiritually speaking, when we think about our spiritual sickness, there's often these resistances that come up that, that we're not able to push back and work through. This passage this morning has this beautiful picture reminding us that we are hopeless and helpless. See, we live in this culture that loves self-help, that loves self-improvement, self-wellness. In fact, the, the global wellness and, and self-help industry, they estimate, is about $5 trillion between, like, coaches for your nutrition and your exercise and, and uh, through self-help books and, and podcasts and blogs and and all these various things, yoga classes, gym memberships, wellness retreats, $5 trillion. And there's this age-old lie that we tend to believe, that, 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 that we can get better on our own. That if we can overcome our fear, overcome our resistance, diagnose our sickness, take the right medication, do the right things, have the right exercise, have the right diet, see the right therapist, that we can get better. 
And our passage this morning reminds us that God doesn't come for those who are able to help themselves. There's this, there's this proverb, it's not a biblical proverb, it's like an American proverb, that God helps those who help themselves. I've heard people who believe it's in the Bible, it's not in the Bible. The Bible's completely opposite of what it teaches, is that God helps the helpless. God gives hope to the hopeless. And our passage this morning is going to show that to us. I'm going to just walk through this kind of verse by verse, and we're going to see how Jesus interacts with the hopeless and the helpless here in this passage. Verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So if you remember the preceding passage, Jesus had healed an official son. He was in Cana, and now he goes back to Jerusalem. And the feast of the Jews, we don't know exactly what feast this was. There was there's seven annual traditional feasts and celebrations that the Jews would have, and this was one of the seven. And so Jesus is there in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, to have this feast. It's a big city party where they're remembering God's provision, God's redemption, God's leading them through the Old Testament. And so there's a bunch of people here in Jerusalem. Jesus is there for the celebration. Pick it up in verse 2. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic named Bethsaida, which I love the, 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 the Bethsaida, it means house of mercy. Isn't that just a beautiful name? So the scene here is that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's this holy city. It's this religious city. It's the, the, the holy city of God for God's people where the temple was, where they would come to do their worship and their practice and their religious duties and come to meet with God and come to celebrate God's redemption of their life. And so they're here in this city, and Jesus comes to Bethsaida, the house of mercy, which has five roofed colonnades. Verse 3 and these lay a multitude of invalids. Multitude, just many. It's a, it, it's a, it's a group of invalids. That, that word's a little bit weird. It sounds a little bit offensive. We don't really use it often in our culture. It means weak. Those who are diseased and weak and sick. So weak, so sick that they can't do anything for themselves. He goes on to give us a little more detail. Blind, those who are unable to see. Lame, those who are unable to walk and paralyzed. This is more of a, a larger category, the Greek word there. It just means those who are extremely weak, the weak those who are disabled, those who are paralyzed. There's, it's just this mass of humanity at this pool, the house of mercy, of people who are extremely sick. They are hopeless and they are helpless. And they're there out of desperation, and you'll notice, it goes from, if you're, if you're paying attention, it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. Why is that, right? And so our English editors, they skip verse 4. That's because the very earliest manuscript of John's gospel, drop my Bible on that note. Hopefully I don't get it wrong. Um, the very earliest manuscript of John's gospel doesn't, doesn't have verse 4 in it? Well, it doesn't have verses, right? These are English edited things. And so some of the later manuscripts have this little note. And if you look down in your Bible, you may have a little note here to verse 4 where it says that they were waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and he stirred up the water. Whoever stepped into the stirring of the water was healed and whatever of whatever disease he had. And so there's this later, uh, kind of like a commentary that some of the scribes, they believe, put in to help people understand what, what was going on at this pool. And so it's not in the, the earliest manuscripts. 
Uh, there's debate whether it should be or it shouldn't be. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I, I, I like that the Bible like, just tells us that. I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible is trustworthy because careful scholars have even said, well, this isn't in the very earliest manuscripts, but it was the common belief of the day, and it's in some of the early manuscripts. So let's make a note, but let's keep it out because it wasn't in John's earliest manuscripts. And so in verse 3, we, I, I don't want to move past this too quickly. In verse 3, we see this picture of all these hopeless and helpless people. They're there at the house of mercy by these pools waiting for this water to be stirred up. Whether or not, again, that's in the original manuscript or not, that, that, that's the common belief about this pool in the house of mercy. Is, and there were different theories, right? An angel comes down and stirs it up. Some people thought that there was this natural spring that would bubble up the water and brought minerals from healing minerals. Like Think, think like essential oils, right? It brought stuff out of the earth that helps to bring healing to sick, hurting, broken bodies. And it, and it might be either or. One of the realities that we need to come to grips with here is that the Bible isn't always as black and white as our Western minds like to make things. We, we want to like know, is this, a, is this a natural healing that happens? Do bodies get healed in this pool when the water's stirred up because these minerals, is, is it kind of scientific? Is it earthy? Is it, is it holistic medicine that's healing these bodies? Or is it the supernatural touch of God stirring the waters, giving it this healing property? I t- tend to think it might be either or, it might be both and. We don't really know. There's a reminder here for us, though, that we can't be superstitious about faith. So there was a lot of superstition in this group of humanity that was around this pool. That if you got in there first, if the water was stirred, you would be healed. And they probably have some evidence for that superstition. Because people were being healed as they got into the water first. What we're going to see as we continue to go through this text is that outside of our superstitions, outside of maybe our official belief in healing or our, official, our superficial experiences with healing, there's some supernatural power that happens here and it's not related to the water and the stirring up of the water. It's directly tied to Jesus. So we'll even notice as we go through the Gospel of John, water starts to take on a big theme. You remember in John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine if you remember chapter 4, well, chapter 3 even, right? Jesus talks about being born again to Nicodemus, and he says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. And then chapter 4, he's talking to the woman at the well, and he says, I give you this living water. If you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. There's this water imagery that's picking up throughout the gospel, and here there's, there's something supernatural happening in this water. It's a, it's a symbol of healing. It's a place of healing. And, and, and Jesus goes to that place, to this water, to this place of healing, to this place of superstition, to this place of supernatural healing, whatever it is, and he uses that place in this environment to show his authority over sickness, over sin, over death. Let's continue so that's, that's the scene right there in verse 3 and 4. All these people around this pool waiting for the water to be stirred up so that they might get in it. Verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. He'd been so weak, so paralyzed, so incapable of moving his own body 
38 years. Some people believe this is, a, this is an acknowledgement of when Israel was wandering the wilderness for 40 years. They were stationary in one area for 38 years, like the spiritual desert, the spiritual dryness. They were spiritually paralyzed. They were unable to get into the promised land. Some people don't think that that's an illusion here. I don't know. It's kind of cool. You can make your own mind about that. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 2 if you want to go back and read that later on. Regardless of that 38 years, can you picture the desperation, the hopelessness, the helplessness? Some of us have been dealing with chronic illness, chronic sickness, mental illness, different things that, that, that hold us back and keep us from experiencing wholeness and health and life. You know when you're walking through a season, whether it's mental illness, depression, anxiety, whether it's physical sickness that's chronic pain and illness, you don't feel whole. You don't feel like yourself. It just weighs you down and it distracts you. Maybe some of you have been living with something like that for 38 years or longer. Maybe some of you have been suffering with something like that for like eight weeks and you're like, I can't handle it anymore. Just get me back to good. I want to be normal. I want to be healthy. I want to be well. And you've sensed the desperation, the brokenness in this man. 38 years of being hopeless and helpless. Verse 6, Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time. So we're beginning to see some of Jesus' divine knowledge and divine power. And, and we're seeing Jesus as a compassion. And how often, how often do, in our, in our flesh, are we tempted to walk by a, a person who looks hopeless and looks helpless, and we just keep walking? We make up excuses for why they're in that state. Well, they deserve this. They're lazy. They're Whatever. And Jesus here comes to the man, showing compassion, showing engagement, showing the humanity. A lot of people would look at the, the house of mercy here, Bethesda, and they would see these multitude of people, and they would just look the other way and walk by. Because there's a disease, you could get hurt, you could get, you could get sick, you could get contaminated by going to these people. And Jesus walks into that scene and he engages this man. He looks him in the eye and he says at the end of verse 6, do you want to be healed? This, this question is the crux of our passage today. And I have the title here of the sermon, do you want to be whole? I think whole is a better translation of the word that he uses for healed here. Uh, some of your translations may say, do you want to be well? There's only one translation, I think, that I could find that, that asks the question, do you want to be whole? I think that's the best translation of the Greek word here. It doesn't matter. They all kind of come together. But I, but I think what Jesus is doing here is he's getting deeper with the man. He's not just asking about his paralyzed legs. Like, do you want to be able to walk? He could have said that. Do you want to be able to walk again? But he uses this, this Greek word that has, it's more expansive than just physical healing. He's looking this man in the eyes and saying, do you want to be whole? Because when physical sickness takes us out, oftentimes it affects us emotionally, spiritually, 
mentally, relationally. Think about the people in your life that you know. Maybe it's you who has chronic pain and illness and sickness and, and, and the toll that it takes on your relationships and what it does to your, to your trust of God and other people. And, and when you've felt helpless for 38 years and that helpness bleeds into hopelessness, how that affects everything about you. See, this interaction, this, this healing, this, this, this story of Jesus with this man, is more, it's about more than just his physical well-being. And we're going to see that as we continue on with the story. I think it's fascinating in this passage, this word healed in the ESV translation, you'll see healed six times and then well is the seventh time in verse 14. So the first time it's used here is in verse 6. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Throughout the passage, that same Greek word, well, not that same Greek word, the translators use healed six times and then well in verse 14, one time. There, so there's seven times in this passage where this word healed or well or whole is used. And there's actually three different words that John uses here. The, the first word here in verse 6, it, it has to do with this, this, I think a better translation is whole. It's more of this holistic idea, do you want to be whole, is what he, uh, he's asking the man. And then in verse 10, it says, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is a different word, which means physical healing. It's actually where we get our word therapy from. So if you think about like a physical therapist who helps your body function better by exercise and work and stretch, stretching that muscle, or, or a therapist who does mental wellness, who helps your mind stretch its muscle and think differently and reframe things. That's the word that John uses here. And so in verse 6, he records Jesus using this word wholeness. But then throughout the rest of the text, he uses this other word, therapeu, which relates to physical healing and well-being. And then in verse 13, he uses yet another word. It says, now the man who had been healed... That's a, that's a third word for this idea. And this has to do more with like a supernatural spiritual healing. And then Jesus, again, in verse 14, he says to the man, see, you are well. That's the same word that Jesus used in verse 6. And so Jesus uses this holistic word. Do you want to be whole? That's the question that he asks the man in verse 6. And then in verse 14, he says, see, you are whole. And then John fills it in with two other words for healed or healthy or whole here. I think to give us this picture that what Jesus is after is this holistic healing. It's not just about the man walking again. It's about the man being restored to God, his creator, to the earth, God's creation, and to other people created in God's image. That's what Jesus is after, to bring heaven on earth. Where, where we are made whole with God and with creation. So Jesus is working here to bring this man back into wholeness. He asks him that question, do you want to be healed? Verse 6, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be well? And I think we need to pause, and I encourage you this week to pause and to take that question and allow Jesus to ask you that question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be well? Spend some time letting Jesus ask you that question. You may be surprised by what you find. Look at verse 7. 
The, the man's answer is just fascinating. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And so while verse 7 is in the original manuscripts, I think that gives good evidence for why verse 4 is not often its interpretation. The common belief was that this pool is stirred up, again, by whatever means, whether it's a spring bubbling up from underneath or whether an angel comes down from above and stirs the water up. There's something that happens. There's this whirlpool effect. A couple weeks ago, I was out in Colorado, and I sat in a hot spring that has a whirlpool effect, hot water coming up out of the ground. And it brought so, after snowboarding for two days, I sat in this hot spring and it brought so much relief to my body, right? And so there's this natural property that happens. God is a holistic God. And we, we don't know what's happening here in this pool, but it, it's a fascinating thing to consider. But I think for this morning, what we need to consider more than what's happening in the pool here is this man's response. Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be healed? And it seems like kind of a, offensive question, right? Kind of off-putting. This man has been there for 38 years. He's at the house of mercy, the place where people like him go to get healing. Of course I want to be healed, right? Like, come, dude, what an insensitive question. Everything about this, it's like you go into the ER And you see people sitting there and you're like, do you want to get better? Well, of course I want to get better. But sometimes there's this resistance in us, right? It's like, I don't know if I really am willing to go through what I need to go through to get better, to get healed, to become whole. I don't know if I'm really willing to give up control. I don't know if I'm really willing to trust somebody else. And this man's response is fascinating. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up and Well, I'm going down, another steps in before me. I'm hopeless and I'm helpless. I can't get into that water. And that water is where healing comes from. It's almost like this man is saying, yes, but. Right? Jesus asks him, do you want to be whole? Jesus asks us, do you want to be whole? And for all of us, like our knee-jerk reaction is yes. Of course. Jesus, what? What a, what a ridiculous question. Of course the man wants to be whole. Of course we want to be whole. Why do you think we're coming to church? Why do you think we're reading scripture? Why do you think we're praying? Why do you think we're singing? Why do you think we're doing this religious stuff? Because we want to be whole. But I think we often are like this man, if we're honest with ourselves, our answer is yes, but. We, we, we give reasons or excuses for why wholeness is out of our grasp. Why wholeness isn't available to us. Why wholeness isn't possible for us. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but you have no idea what I've done. What I keep doing. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but you have no idea what's been done to me. I don't know how to overcome that. I don't know how to get through that. I don't know how to process that. I can't get those thoughts and memories out of my mind. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but I haven't found the right therapist. Yes, but I haven't found the right medication. Yes, but I don't pray enough. Yes, but I don't read the Bible enough. Yes, but I don't know enough. There are other people seem to be doing better than me spiritually and in life. They seem to be more whole. And they, they must know more. They must have the secret code. They, they have the right podcast. They have the right books. They have the right interpretations. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but I'm lazy. 
I lack discipline. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but my addiction, I can't break it. My anxiety, my depression, my introvertedness, my extrovertedness. Yes, but I want to be liked. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but, but I really just want people's respect. I want affirmation. It feels so good. Do you want to be whole? Yeah, but I really love my couch and my comfort and being left alone. Do you want to be whole? Yeah, but I really want power. I really want to control the outcomes. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but those Democrats. Come on. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but those are Republicans. Right, isn't this often how we view our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world? Yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. I quoted this band a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to keep quoting them because they're so good. Memphis Mayfire, a hardcore band. One of my favorite songs of theirs is called Vices. They say, me versus me has always been my greatest fight. Yeah, oftentimes we, we, we look at the circumstances of the world and we look at other people and we, we, we think that we can't get better, we can't get whole because of all the things out there that we can't control. That's what this man is doing. And, and, and rightly so. I mean, there's some practical reality to this. He can't get into the water. That's true. And, and, and when I go through this list of yes buts, I'm, I'm not saying please hear me again and again and again. I say this anytime I try to like talk about therapy or medication or, or exercise plans or, or, you know, gym memberships. Like all of that stuff is good and it can be helpful. Here's what we need to keep in mind as Christians. Jesus brings wholeness and we work from the wholeness that he gives us, not for wholeness. We work from wholeness, not for wholeness. So part of your healing, if it has to do with mental illness, it's to remind yourself that Jesus has made me whole and there will come a day in the future when he returns or calls me home that my mind will work perfectly without this anxiety, without this depression. And here and now, he's made me whole spiritually, he's declared me whole, and now I'm striving after wholeness. And so go see your therapist and work out your wholeness. Or eat your better food, like change your diet and work out physical wholeness. Whatever it is for you, I'm not saying discard all of that. We have to change the script and be reminded that Jesus comes and he declares wholeness to his followers. There's no more yes, but. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but I can't. That's not how we answer it. When Jesus asks you, do you want to be whole? And, and, and you may need to pause and actually wrestle with that. Like that, that might be part of why we're not experiencing the wholeness that Jesus has given is because we want to hang on to things that we don't want to give up. And that's a vulnerable question to wrestle through with Jesus. But if your answer is honestly a no, or a yes but, and I'm not willing to give that but up, like go find your own but, multiple buts. And if you're not willing to give that up, tell Jesus that. Do you want to be whole? Yes, but I'm not willing or able or, or even wanting to give this thing up. That's prayer, is to tell God that and to trust his goodness. Like this paralyzed man, 
Of course I want to be healed. Of course I want to be whole. Of course I want to be well. But there's all these reasons why I can't. And then let's pick it up again. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus shows his authority over his creation, his authority over this man's paralyzed legs. He shows his authority over this man's paralyzed spiritual state and he speaks with authority into this man's life and he says, you are made whole, you are made well, you are healed, take up your bed and walk. Stop with the excuses, stop with the reasons. I've made you whole. And at once, the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. He obeyed Jesus. He took Jesus at his word. He did what Jesus called him to do. And he experienced the result of the wholeness that Jesus had spoke over him. Now this, I, I don't want you to misinterpret this to say like if you just believe right, you will never, never struggle again. That's not at all what's happening here. But Jesus is bringing this deeper wholeness, this holistic wholeness. He's bringing this man's spiritual healing as well as physical healing. And we need to talk a little bit more about these last couple verses, verses 10 through 18. And really there's two points here that, that I want to make as we kind of wind down the sermon here. One is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We're going to see that here. And then two is to continue with that point that Jesus brings holistic healing, not just physical healing. It says, now that day was the Sabbath at the end of verse 9. So this is important to know. Jesus is here at the house of mercy working healing on the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now this wasn't even an Old Testament law about the Sabbath. This is what they call a hedge around the law. The religious leaders had added extra rules to the rules of God. We tend to do that, don't we? Like, eh, I'm not going to give examples because they're probably too personal. We tend to make all these extra rules around God's word. And, and by the way, Jesus summarizes the whole Old Testament, all the rules of the Old Testament, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's the essence of God's heart. And what he wants for us is to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But then we tend to add on a ton of stuff. And, and that's what's happening here. And, and the religious leaders, the religious institution, they're, they're mad at Jesus for breaking their made-up laws rather than finding joy that he brought help for the helpless and hope to the hopeless and brought healing to this man who hadn't found it for 38 years. They're like, yeah, but you didn't do it right. Jesus, you didn't follow our rules. You didn't do it according to our systems. So they asked the man who healed. He doesn't know. They, they remind him of their religious law, that it's not lawful for you to take up your bed and walk on the Sabbath day. Verse 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me, the man said, take up your bed and walk. And we're going to see a shift now in the Gospel of John towards some pretty harsh opposition, opposition towards Jesus from the religious institution and leaders. He said, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. I find it interesting. This man doesn't even know. It's like, I don't know. Some, some guy came and spoke to me with authority and said, do you want to be healed? He asked me this question. I gave, him, I gave him a real excuse, but it was an excuse nonetheless. And then he just saw through my excuse. It's 
Part of what I want you to get this morning, part of what I need to get, is that Jesus sees through our excuses, through our reasons, whether they're good or bad excuses or reasons. He can see through that, and with authority, he can proclaim truth to us. He says, this man told me to pick up my bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed didn't know that it was Jesus. Verse 13, for he had withdrawn. There was a crowd in the place. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, you are whole. And he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. This can be taken a couple different ways. Some people believe that he's saying, go and sin no more, otherwise something worse than paralysis will happen to you. And there is, there are passages in Scripture which show us that sickness or suffering is a result of sin. There's no way around that. Sometimes sickness and specific suffering is a result of sin. It's God disciplining us, trying to get our attention, trying to call us back to repentance. There's other passages in Scripture which are very clear that sickness and suffering is not always a direct result of sin. We don't, we don't know with this man if he was paralyzed for 38 years because of a sin that he did or if it was just part of living in a fallen world. Some people will interpret this verse. They'll use this verse to say clearly the man was, was sick because of his sin and now Jesus is warning him to go and sin no more. Otherwise, something worse is going to happen. But I wonder, like, what could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years, being hopeless and helpless for 38 years? At, at that point, I think you're like, like What? He's already passed the average lifespan of people his age in this time. Like, oh, I I think what Jesus is getting at here is the spiritual reality. That continued resistance to Jesus, continued rebellion against Jesus, continuing to not trust Jesus' word and to receive Jesus' wholeness will lead to separation from God. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What's worse than being paralyzed for 38 years, being separated from God forever and not experiencing eternal life with him? And so I think that's what Jesus is getting at here, this holistic healing. That yes, your body matters. Yes, your physical ailments matter. Yes, Jesus cares about that. But ultimately what we need is to trust Jesus and to become whole people mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Maybe that may come or may not come. But ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth, our bodies will not ache anymore. That's what Jesus is getting at here. I think he's saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath and I am the Lord of sin and sickness and go and sin no more that you may experience eternal life with me. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. And just be aware of a pharisaical religious heart. That's when we start to look at God doing incredible things, and then we start to judge it based off of if we like how it happened or not. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. And and here's kind of this shift that's going to lead us into the rest of the book, that Jesus now begins to publicly identify as being the son of God, being equal with God. He says, my father is working. And the Jews knew that that God, even though he rested on the seventh day and and he set up his pattern of Sabbath based off of his his rest on the seventh day, God continues to work. The Old Testament teaches that God never slumbers. He never sleeps. He works for his people day and night endlessly. And here is Jesus, a man. 
saying, my father, God, is working, and I am working as well. He's claiming equality with God, which is a huge offense to the religious leaders. Verse 18 says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. And uh, Matt's going to bring us into that next section next week, which will talk more about Jesus' claim to be equal with God and his authority as God. What I want to close down this morning with for us, uh, what I want to close this morning down is just this reminder that wholeness is a result of listening to Jesus' word and accepting his work. Wholeness is a result of listening to what Jesus has to say. Remember last week we talked about hearing God's voice. What is Jesus saying to you? Maybe he's asking you that question this morning. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be well? Meet him in the intimacy of that question and wrestle through the legitimacy of your answer. And then in that place, be reminded of the authority that he speaks to the paralyzed man. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. The man listens to Jesus' word. He, he does what Jesus, is tell, what Jesus tells him to do. He gets up and he walks. He accepts the work that Jesus did on his behalf. That's where wholeness comes from, church family. Every week when we gather at Park Community Church, we want to remember Jesus' work on our behalf. So one of the ways that we do that is by taking communion. We have two communion stations here in the front, one in the back, and we come to the table to remember the bread represents Jesus' body given for us. His perfect life lived on our behalf. We can't keep the Sabbath. He didn't need to. We, we can't perfectly always answer, do you want to be whole? And we have all these barriers, all these, all these yes buts in our way. And he looks at that and says, stop striving. Start trusting. Accept the work that I did. Living a perfect life in your place on your behalf. The bread represents his body. The son of God living a human life in our place on our behalf and giving his life for us. The cup represents his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. So church family, this morning as you come to the table, be reminded that Jesus has made you whole. If you've received him as Savior, repented of your sins, and that, right, that's, that's a daily, continual process. But these elements are here to remind you that you have been made whole in and through Jesus. All you need to do is receive him and what he's done. And so physically this morning, eat the bread, reminding who Jesus is, being reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done, and drink the cup, being reminded that your sins have been forgiven by his work, not yours. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that you lived a whole, perfect, righteous life. You had no need for healing. Therefore, you had no excuses or reasons for, for answering a question like, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? You were whole. And yet, Jesus, you look at our many excuses, some legitimate, some illegitimate. You look through that and you offer us your wholeness taking our brokenness upon yourself on the cross and overcoming sin and death in the grave, granting us new life. 
And so, Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that we would be nourished at the table as we remember that work, the work that you've done on our behalf. In Jesus' name.